What's going on, guys? This is Rob Doster here. I want to let you know about our sponsors, Anchor by Spotify. If you haven't heard about them yet, it is the easiest way for you to make a podcast. I know because all of our 28 podcasts on the field of 68 and the field of 12 use Anchor by Spotify. It has the tools that will allow you to record and edit your pods right from your phone or your computer. You can distribute anywhere. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, all those places that allow you to listen to podcasts for absolutely free. Anchor sends those pods directly to the feeds. And here's the best part about it. Anchor is totally free. So make sure you download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm if you want to get started on your own podcast. What's going on, everybody? My name is Rob Doster. As you can see, I'm joined once again by Deshaun Butler, the former West Virginia All-American. This is the Doster and Deshaun podcast. Um, We are live. I'm going to let the the stream fill up a little bit. Uh, And while I do that, I'm going to show you guys the lucky home field apparel tee is back. We got a new lucky home field apparel tee, Deshaun. I, uh, I had to get rid of the old lucky one. Because the luck ran out. I lost like five straight bets. But tonight, we were on fire. We got Illinois. We uh, we got the over in Illinois Duke. We got Iowa. And we got Creighton plus three and a half. So it was, uh, it was a great night for us. We got a new lucky home field apparel tee. If you don't know what home field apparel is, let me tell you guys real quick. They are an independently owned uh, college athletics apparel company based out of Indianapolis. Um, they What they do is they go through and they mine all of the old logos of your favorite the colleges, your favorite universities, your favorite basketball teams. Um, and they take those logos and they create different, uh, different t-shirts out of them and different sweatshirts out of them. And, and the gear is just perfect, man. Like my big thing with t-shirts is you got to have the neck. You can't have like the, the hangy Turkey neck, right. And you can't have the sleeves that are all saggy. And when you wash t-shirts one time, you can't get like the, get it all flowy around the waist. Right. And their yeah. t-shirts, they don't do that, man. They're comfortable. They're breathable. They're great. So um, I couldn't recommend them more. I would not be working with this company and partnering with this company if I did not like them. And here's the big thing. I know we have a big West Virginia audience because we have the uh, the legendary uh, Mountaineer here on this podcast. If you want West Virginia gear from Home Field Apparel, you got to go to them. You got to tweet at them. It's Home Field at Home Field Apparel with no E in apparel and tell them you want West Virginia gear. If you tweet at them enough, they will do it. Mostly because they want you to stop tweeting at them if that happens. Um, but, yeah, so if you want to buy T-shirts like this, if you need a lucky T-shirt, if you've been losing some bets and you want to turn that franchise around, go to homefieldapparel.com. Use the promo code uh, uh, promo code field of – I almost forgot the promo code. How, what are we going to do if we don't have promo codes? Exactly. The promo code <laughs> field of 68 for 20% off your first purchase. Deshaun. We had a wild night of basketball tonight, man. We uh, we just finished watching Illinois go into Cameron Indoor Stadium and put it on the Blue Devils. Give me all your takeaways. Um, I I'm not gonna lie to you. I was very <laughs> I'm very shocked at Duke, but not shocked. I mean, we talked about this the last time. Them having a what do you call it? A Jalen at the five is not a good idea. That's just not the vibe for the Duke Blue Devils. Um. Uh, what do you call it? Uh, Coburn and uh, Georgie were like they did whatever they wanted in the paint if they got an opportunity to with him on his back. With I mean, with him on their backs, and uh, I mean, just like I expected, Illinois just they ran, man. They they just play a fast pace, a fast brand of basketball, and 
if you don't stop that run, if you can't stop Dosuno and you can't stop Frazier, especially and Curbelo was amazing tonight to me personally. I mean, he has some he has mm-hmm. some turnovers. They were, they're very high in turnover. I think they have like 18 turnovers tonight. But they I like how I wouldn't say deep they are with their guards, but they have a ton of guards that can throw at you that can bring the ball up, run offense, come up ball screens, especially and create. Like they have, I would say like four playmakers, guys that can find make a play for themselves or make a play for someone else. And I feel like that's very helpful, especially when your team is running, they're running and gunning like Illinois does. Like it, they kind of exposed Duke, not to mention what Duke was what, five for 22 from three. At one point, they didn't make their first three to like 12 minutes and 30 seconds left in the second half. Um, it, I mean, if you're not going to make threes, they barely got to the free throw line in the first half. It was, it just wasn't, it wasn't Duke's night that, Hurt does what he can. Roach stepped up a little bit tonight. Stewart stepped helped a little bit. Excuse me. I wouldn't even say stepped up. They helped. We need more from Jalen. We need we just need more from Duke as a as a team, more or less. So. Yeah, you know, I think the big thing for me was that Jalen Johnson and Matthew Hurt really couldn't take advantage of the mismatch that they had on the offensive end of the floor. Wow. I, mean, I, I had I had questions about the way that Coach K decided to roll out a lineup, I didn't think that he should start a five. Like, who am I to question Coach K? But it just didn't make sense to me to start another big man out there. Like, I thought the best way for them to kind of attack Illinois was to go, like, full small ball, play Matthew Hurt and Jalen Jalen Johnson up front, and try to play Kofi Coburn off the floor. That's not what he did. He started Mark Williams. They ended up getting down 17-4 to in the first eight minutes, and we didn't really see – uh, Mark Williams again the rest of the game. So to me, that was a little head-scratching. Um, it, it was – what Illinois did defensively was they basically put Kofi in drop coverage every time that Duke put him in a ball screen, and they just kind of said, all right, look, if Matthew Hurt is going to kill us with open jumpers from the top of the key, go ahead. If Jalen Johnson is going to kill us with open jumpers from the top of the key, go ahead. Matthew Hurt was 0 for 6 from 3. Jalen Johnson was 1 for 3. Uh, and, um, you know, Hurt didn't really – get anything going until the end uh, of the game when it was kind of already garbage time. So to me, that was one of the biggest problems there. And it's also like, they're just not, the, the talent level just is not what it normally is at Duke, right? But they got these five stars, but Wendell Moore, uh, like he's, I, I don't know what's going on with him, man. He doesn't seem like he's right. He doesn't seem like he really understands what Duke is asking out of him. I thought he was going to be better this year than what he is. He's not. Matthew Hurt can score. But he's such a liability defensively. Like he probably gives up as many points as he scores for you, right. so you end up kind of breaking even there. Uh, it's it's a weird team. It's a weird fit. I thought the pieces were going to fit better when I looked at them in the preseason, but this is just uh, they're kind of like Kentucky. Man, neither of those teams are good basketball teams. How about this? Did you ever think that you would see a point in time where Duke and Kentucky were three and five combined? No, I also never thought I'd see a time where Duke was shooting like shot was shooting like 30 percent in basketball games from the field or shooting 50 percent from the free throw line and just getting out rebounded and out hustled so like that's kind of like you know obviously they, they get duke has prided themselves over the years of getting these you know top five-star recruits to come in and then play hard and you know not get out worked especially in cameron and they that's not the case this year you know these guys are they've had 
I would say almost back-to-back games where they shot 30% from the field as a whole. And this game, they shot 40. Like, they just made 40. They shot 5 for 22 this game. They shot 56% from the free throw this game. I mean, it's it's almost as if, like, you know, uh, I want to say it's still early, so everybody has opportunities and time to grow. But it's almost as if, like, they're still trying to figure out what they can do to be, like, a good team. They're still figuring yeah. it out. Yeah, I mean, they're very much figuring it out. But I, I would say, for me, the big difference between them and Kentucky is that I can see a path for Kentucky becoming a really good team. And I understand why they're in the position that they're in. You know, I don't want to go too deep into it, but having all of these new guys and playing two games against teams that are veteran-laden and play yeah. kind of a complicated style, you know, the, the Princeton offense for Richmond and then that weird zone that Georgia Tech plays. I mean, you know this, Sean. When you go up against the zone, like, that can really take you out of a rhythm. And if you have a bunch of young guys that have never seen that before, that can really mess them up. So I can see the path for Kentucky becoming good again. That doesn't mean they're going to get there. That doesn't mean they can climb that hill. That doesn't mean that I'm guaranteeing they're going to end up being like a top 10 team by the end of the season. But I can see a way for them to get there. I don't know how Duke becomes a top 10 team at any point this season, barring like, uh, you know, Jeremy Roach and Jordan Goldwire learning how to shoot threes and um, DJ Stewart becoming better defensively and Matthew Hurt becoming better defensively. Like, I, I just don't see the path for them to get there um, based on the, the roster that they have. Now, let's talk a little bit about Illinois because, you know, I, I feel like some people got off the bandwagon a little bit after what happened against Baylor. And to me, you know, crazy. They had a, they had a bad three minute stretch in the second half where yeah. they couldn't really stop the bleeding. But. That, to me, had everything to do with how good Baylor is yeah. and not as much to do with, like, what Illinois is. Like, I, I just – I love the way the team is built. you yeah. got a monster inside in Coburn. You can play big by putting Georgie at the four next to him. You can right. play small by putting Georgie at the five. And then you got, like, 17 different guards out there that can all create, that can all make shots, that want to play in transition, that will try to defend. I, I just – I love the makeup of – of the team that Brad Underwood has. Like, to me, that's just the top five team in college basketball this year. Most definitely. I mean, there were certain points in the game where I'm sitting there, I'm like, wow, Miller comes off a ball screen, straight line drive to the basket, Miller in transition. All right, cool. Well, they got to figure out a way to stop Miller. All right, Dunsumu comes down the court. You can't stop him. So he's, he's like, not on the list. Like, Frazier comes off a ball screen, goes down to the cup, gets a layup. <laughs> Frazier comes off, one dribble pull up. Uh, like, what can you do? Like, they they have numerous guys. Like, Curbelo looked amazing in certain stretches in the game where, like, I love his game, actually. I, I kind of feel like he plays so fluid and he has a great feel for the game. Like, he it's like one of those guys when you see the basketball in his hands, you feel comfortable. Granted, he had five turnovers, so that sounds crazy. But at the same time, yeah, he made some really great, like, smart basketball plays today. So Yeah, and, but he also had, like, freshman turnovers, right? Like, he – there was one play at the end. You could see Brad Underwood at, uh, getting on. There were, like, four minutes left, and he goes and drives to the rim and turns the ball over. And Brad's like, what are you doing? Just that's right after him, and that's right after him coming down the floor and then, like, what, like, not passing the ball to anybody and shooting the three at the top of the key after Brad. Yeah, it's like, what are you doing? Yeah. No. You can see the freshman, like, coming out of himself, like. Yeah, but I mean, he's yeah, you could tell he could play. He's got that New York City to him, man. Like he he had people on skates. Yeah, um, yeah like his handle is something else. Uh, the the craziest part for me for Illinois is that like they're still not at one hundred percent. They got a couple shooters that are still working their way their way back from injury. Um, so I, I just 
I, I'm I'm enthralled with that team, and I, honestly, I, I don't think we've seen the best from them yet. No, nah, like Adam Miller's like Adam Miller still got room to grow. <laughs> Carbella still got room to grow. They still yeah. got guys that, that that are coming back from from being injured. So like that that team is. I mean, they're to me, and I know we can probably segue this into the conversation about Iowa, but but to me, Illinois is the best team in the Big Ten right now. Yeah, and if that team gets any better, then I could. Listen, like when you get late in the end of the season, if there is a tournament, God willing, like you got to be able to to run. <laughs> and these guys run, and they can come back and shoot from the perimeter as well as they run with the guys you're talking about adding back into their roster. Then, I mean, I can't really see they have just enough firepower inside as well as outside. And then in transition, I mean, I feel like that's the hardest part to keep up with them because they run you ragged to the point where. Sooner or later, like Donson, Donson was just doing whatever he wants to do in the court at a certain point in time. Like, what we're talking, what eighteen points, twelve boards. Like, oh, he could have went for more assists, but like at that's at, the, at a certain point in time. I mean, everyone else is killing, so like they did a good job of balancing the uh, scoring and the and everyone's ball handling and job. And everything was just spaced. Like it, it wasn't a need for him to just take over. His teammates were doing great, so I, I'm very. They were up by double digits the whole game. Like he didn't have to go into takeover mode. Yeah, I, I felt like that entire game, Illinois never got out of cruise control. They no. jumped up to a thirteen point lead, and like the most pressure they got was when Duke went on a nine zero run in the second half to cut it to ten. Ten. It was, never, it was never a thing. They never got under ten under ten points in the second half. They were up the entire time on double digits. So yeah. Under- All right. So let's let's transition that to uh, another Big Ten team and another Tobacco Road team. Uh, North Carolina went into Carver Hawkeye Arena and kind of got beat up a little bit by Luca Garza and, and the Iowa Hawkeyes on a night where Luca really did not play all that well. I think he was five yeah. for seventeen from the floor, um, and yeah, like he had. Yeah, I mean, he had sixteen points. What was it? Yeah, six for twenty from the floor. Um, didn't play a typical Luca Garza game, and it didn't really matter. Iowa ended up winning by thirteen points. How did you feel about the Hawkeyes? Funny thing is, like, I watched the game and the talk about the game was, you know, if Iowa needs, wants to win this game, they got to really go out there and defend. And if UNC needs to win this game, they got to really go out there and shoot. And it was the opposite. <laughs> um, Luca Garza, like you said, didn't come out. He didn't come out gunning initially either. Like, he got the ball. He was finding people. And I was just – I would say that his him not being his normal self was okay. The rest of the guys stole the show. Um what do you call uh I can't even remember they got Frederick. I know Frederick and uh Bohannon. CJ Frederick and Jordan Bohannon, yeah. yeah Frederick uh, had 21 points and five camp, threes. Why is Kane? They made 17 threes to all, the three of them. Like mm-hmm. that's I'm, I'm not gonna say that they can't do it again because I don't want my foot to be in my mouth. I've already had that happen all, all so far this season with the big time. But like these guys were to me the stars of the show. I almost looked like they weren't gonna miss in the first half. At one point in time, for a five-minute stretch, it was unreal how many threes were being made, and you didn't even need Luca Garza to be out there. It was, it was crazy. And the funny thing was, UNC throughout the game, like well, excuse me, through the first half, they were kind of lulling around, I would say. And in the second half, they picked up their transition offense and was mm-hmm. getting, uh, some baskets and was cutting the lead down little by little. But like, you know, UNC shot the ball well. They, they shot the ball well from the field. They shot the ball well from three. The only things they didn't do was make 17 threes, and they also didn't have – they had 18 turnovers compared to 
compared to our Iowa's 11. And not and they all rebounded Iowa. So like normally in normal circumstances, besides those turnovers and the 17 threes, you would say UNC could have beat any other team in the country. But when you're making 17 threes, not turning the ball over, and your player of the year still on a bad night pours out uh 16 and 14, like what what can you say? Like you're gonna lose that game. Yeah, so my thing was I, I've thought about this, and, and my initial reaction was like Luca Garza did not impact that game, and, and I think I actually tweeted out at halftime like he's been a net negative for Iowa because of what he gave up um, defensively and kind of like all the missed shot. Like he missed like nine layups in that first half. Uh, but I, I kind of I've rethought that a little bit because I do think that part of the reason we saw so many wide open threes for Iowa in that first half was because Roy Williams was so focused on making sure that Luca didn't beat him. You know, he had two guys on him every time he touched the ball. They were, they were definitely hedging um, and, and digging down and making sure that he didn't get a chance in the post, like to go one-on-one. Uh, and I mean, look, North Carolina's rotations, like they were jumping at like, the, you know, anything that was, that even looked like a pump fake, they were jumping at. Uh, they were terrible, like defensive rotations. It, it was just, it was not a good defensive performance whatsoever. But I do think that a lot of that credit's got to go to Luca, just for the, the the presence on the floor. Like we talk about shooters having gravity, right, and the, the space that it creates when you have to be able to get out and defend someone at the three point line. Well, Luca Garza, like there's a certain level of gravity that he has in the post, and I'm not just saying that because he looks like it, it. He looks like a fat dude out there, right? Like he's not. He's about 260 pounds, of, like solid muscle, but he's got that like lean that when like fat guys get kind of tired when they're playing. Um, and he always looks like he's just gulping air. Like he just was, it's the first time he's ever been on a treadmill. First time he's ever sprinted in his life. Uh, and he always has that like look on his face, like, Oh, I'm so tired, but he never stops running. He's not very fast. He's not going to get from point A to point B very quickly, but I'll tell you this much. He'll be, he's going to go get from point A to point B at that same pace for all 40 minutes. Like he's never going to stop moving. That motor's never going to stop running. So uh, I, I, I enjoy watching him play. Um, the thing about the three-point shooting, though, is this is just, to me, it kind of shows you, like, how dangerous they are offensively. You can't – you got to be cognizant of all these guys. they got snipers everywhere. 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 Yeah. yeah. Like, uh, it kind of gave me uh, the uh, old West Virginia John Beeline days. Mm-hmm. <laughs> where Literally, I remember my freshman year, we played teams, and we beat teams that out-rebounded us by, like, 15-20. But we just made a, an, a, like a crazy amount of threes, and we ended up winning the game, and we didn't turn the ball over ever. And just seeing that, seeing like Wise Camp and seeing Bohannon and these guys just come out, and I'm sitting there, I'm like, when is UNC going to guard the perimeter? Like, they <laughs> had to know that these guys are shooters. Like, they, they have this big who can score the ball in the paint. And it's like, all right, you got to give him some attention. But not to negate all four other players. And these guys – they came out and stole the show to me, man. It was it was amazing to see the, like the the amount of threes that were that were made in that first half and throughout the game by three guys. <laughs> mm-hmm. Insane. One guy shot what is it eight for eighteen, and he shot seven for no, yeah, no, excuse me, it was seven for eighteen. And he shot six for sixteen from three. It was it was it was Bohan. He he took yeah, seventeen Bohan. field goals and sixteen of them were threes. That's what my kind of player, man. That's my kind of guy. That's a green light that I've never ever seen. That, hey, when you're hitting them like that, you know. Uh, but to me, that kind of shows you how how bad North Carolina was defensively. Like, yeah. 
he shouldn't get that many wide open looks. Like you should not have shooters that are that good get that many clean looks at the basket. And, and, you know, so that's definitely a concern with North Carolina. I also think that, you know, Caleb Love, I want him to be as good as like the Kobe Whites, uh, maybe the Cole Anthony's, um, like, cause he's kind of built in that mold of the, the big athletic uh, kind of big go-to score that mm-hmm. North Carolina's had so much success with at the point guard spot. Like if you, if you look over the years, the best North Carolina point guards have been guys that can go get a bucket, get up and down the floor and get a bucket. Like Ty Lawson was a scorer first. Uh, Ray Felton was a scorer first. Joel Berry won a national title, was a scorer first. Yeah. Um, uh, Kobe White, scorer first. The only guy that like played at that level as a point guard at North Carolina under Roy Williams that was not a scorer first was Kendall Marshall. Kendall Marshall, I was going to say, yeah. And, and like he was, he's probably the best passer that we've seen in college basketball in like the last decade. So unless you are at that level, you got to be a scorer first. And um, to me, like Caleb Love, I, I think he can get there. Like I, yeah. you, you watch him, and like the ability is there. It just hasn't quite totally clicked for him. And the fact that they just don't have any help for him on the wing. Like, I don't think Leaky Black is the answer, and I don't think R.J. Davis is the answer. Like, those guys are good role players, but yeah. I, I do think that you need more. Yeah, you definitely need more. Even though Leaky Black had a solid – what well, he had a double-double tonight. But still, like, I didn't – with Love, I felt like the first half he was kind of uh, – like I said, like it, the entire team except for um, – who would you say? Except for – What's my guy? Brooks, I would say. But the entire team, except for Brooks, were probably like going through the motions in a sense in the first half. And the second half, mm-hmm. love step, like love pushed the pace. Like the pace was totally different. And I was wondering when they were going to do that because, I mean, that's the North Carolina basketball that I've always seen is these guys under Roy Williams that run. And they weren't really running much. And when they were running in the first half, it was a lot of turnovers. And in the second half, when they made the cut, you know, when they cut the lead, they picked up the pace and it kind of gave Iowa a little bit of trouble. You know, they had to, it kind of stopped their, uh, the, the consistency of their shots going in from the perimeter. It was like a small, small amount of time because, you know, you have to focus on getting back on transition defense. You, you get a little bit tired, your legs get a little bit tired. It may not be underneath you as much and you have to guard. So just making them put that kind of pressure on them, I think it helped. But, you know, when they relaxed in a second, <laughs> they took a time to take a breath and that was enough for, you know, wise camping his guys to continue making jump shots and continue making threes and guards that made a couple of plays toward the end, got a couple and ones, and you know, you get you get a uh, you get housed in Iowa. Yeah, so I, my theory and my kind of take on that is I think that North Carolina, when they're not getting stops, like a Roy Williams team can normally run off of makes. It's harder to do, but when you have a veteran squad, like they can run off of makes. We've seen them do it. Yeah. Um, but when you got to take the ball through the hoop and step out of bounds and then make the pass in, it's very different than grabbing a rebound and hitting that outlet and your guys are already gone. Yeah, exactly. um, so I think that what we saw, at least early in the second half, uh, was they were getting stops and that's how they were getting out that they were getting out in transition. Now, traditionally, like where Iowa just gets absolutely blasted is in transition and on the offensive glass, right? Yeah. Like that's where you can beat them, which is why this was kind of a, a matchup where we were like, okay – you know, maybe North Carolina actually has a, yeah, a chance to go in there and, and, and get a win in this one. Um, and it just, you know, outside of those, those first 10, 11 minutes of the second half, like they just could not get in transition. I think it was – they scored 37 points in the first 11 minutes of the second half, 
And in the other 29 minutes of the game, they had 43 points. So that that's a really good sign for Iowa. Like to me, you the biggest issue with Iowa is always going to be on the defense. Like Luca is just he's never going to be a great defender, man. Like he's slow footed. He's not not a great rim protector. Um, you're never going to be able to have him guard ball screens. Like good teams, with good ball screen point guards are going to be able to put him in a ball screen over and over and over again and just rinse him, right? It's kind of like what Ohio did with uh, with Kofi Coburn. Remember when that kid had thirty eight? Yeah. So, I mean, if they if Iowa can play defensively like they did for this game outside of the first ten minutes of the second half, then they're like we're having a very different conversation about what this team can be than if they still have that ten minute stretch where they can't guard anything yeah. in, in their game. Does that make sense? That makes more than enough sense. I mean, they they are a great offensive team. They can get it together defensively. We're talking. What we expect to see from them. I mean, everybody's saying they can get to the Elite Eight, Final Four. I mean, you see that with their offense. Just the defense needs to, you know, back it up. Yeah. Um, all right. So the other really big game of the night was uh, was Kansas and Creighton, which probably ended up being the best game of the night. We had uh, – um, it ended up being 73-72. Kansas won. Marcus Zagorowski missed a free throw at the end of the game, which was just a heartbreaker. I, I, I feel bad for that kid, man. Like, I – have you ever been in that situation where you, you missed, like, a, a would-be game-winning or game-tying free throw? Uh, not even a free throw. I've, like, had the ball in my hands and dribbled the ball off my foot with, like, like seconds left before. Like, <laughs> <laughs> on the same level of embarrassment, I guess. Like, Hey, listen, man, that was just bad coaching. Your, the, your, co- your coach should have known I'll let you handle the ball. I know, that was perfect. <laughs> I had to. I had to shoot that. Um, so the thing that really stood out to me about this Kansas game was – uh, Jalen Wilson, I, like I'm not really I'm not breaking news. Jalen Wilson's pretty damn good, and if if Kansas is going to have to do this uh, this like five out small ball lineup with Jalen Wilson at the five, like you know, it, it might end up being that he's pretty good and pretty suited for that role. Oh man, if you had told me before this game that Wilson and McCormick were going to be the guys to, <laughs> to hold it down for Kansas. I'd probably, I probably definitely would disagree. Um, shout out to McCormack. He came out there and he did what he was supposed to do. He went cold in the, in the early in the second half, and I would say a little bit for the majority of the game. Wilson uh, had a beginning of the first, the second half, I mean, where he went cold as well. But I would say those two were super, super consistent throughout the entire game with their presence, more or less than having to score the entire game. Wilson did his part with the scoring. Though. But, uh, geez, bro, like what? Brown, Brown. First of all, is it Brown? It's Brown. It's Brown. So, so I, I really, I really hate. I, I, this kid it really frustrates me, right? Because my last name has that AU in it, just like yeah. his last name has that AU in it, and everyone calls me Douster. Yeah. And there's like no word in the English language where AU is, is like an owl sound. Yeah. Like, like what do you, what do you put on pizza? You put sauce on pizza. Yeah, like you don't put, you don't put sauce yeah, on pizza. Unless you're Rick Ross, like that's the only way you put South on pizza. So Kills this kid is coming out here with an AU in his name and is calling himself Brown, like. And I'm like, that's not Brown. But either way, respect to that man's name. He went out there and he hooped too. He helped out as well. I mean, what he was four for nine from three. He had that little bank three, leaning like leaning, uh, leaning almost out of bounds from the left side. Like it was a, it was very surprising that Garrett and Abaji played the way they did. But it was very, uh, 
it was good to see that Kansas can still win a game without being dependent on those two. Like even uh, Bryce came up, Bryce Thompson came off the bench and had some clutch baskets within the second half where Kansas needed some ba- some baskets because the guards weren't really giving them baskets at the time. So it was good to see that you know the the other the collective the others can come in and just you know step up for <laughs> the the guys who are normally scoring for them. I was just impressed by Creighton. Were you not? <laughs> yeah, I was. I was. I kind of expected performances like this from him. Where I was really impressed was with uh, with with the center, Christian Christian Bishop. Because very, very much so. Very much so. If Creighton is going to be a team that can compete for a Big East title, that can try to make a run for the Final Four, they really need Bishop to be a guy that can play bigger than he is, right? They need him to be their small ball center. They need him to be a guy that can protect the rim, that can step out and make a three, that can rebound the ball, that can handle his own against guys that are the size of David McCormick. And, you know, I know McCormick had 13 points. Um, I don't think that he was necessarily great down the stretch, right? Like, I thought he was really good in the first half. thought he was okay at the start of the second half, and then Bishop kind kind of won that battle in the final 10 to 12 minutes. And if he can do that consistently, then that kind of, that changes things for Creighton, right? Because they don't really have anything else up front, um, and and they don't really have all that much depth. Uh, you know, Antoine Jones has has had some good moments this season. Uh, he made a couple batteries defensively and ended up getting benched. Um, so we had a couple of the freshmen that they put in the rotation, and and you know it's never great to have freshmen that that have not had a typical summer playing major minutes for you. The yeah. big key with them. Is is Mitchell Ballack? Mitchell Ballack is like the, the one of the best shooters in college basketball. Mm-hmm. Struggling so far this season, came into this game shooting under thirty percent from beyond the arc, which is two for eight from three in Allen Fieldhouse, and I think he missed his last six. He had he hit two in the first half, kind of got Creighton going a little bit. Like this was a hometown homecoming game for him. He's from mm-hmm. ten miles. Like he went to high school ten miles from Fog Allen Fieldhouse, and he came back and he did not. Uh, did not even come close to playing his his best basketball game, and like I don't I don't want to say that it cost them, but I don't think that Creighton can go into Fog Allen Fieldhouse and win without Mitchell Ballack being a, a, a knockdown lights out shooter and making uh, consistently knocking down threes the way that you would expect him to when you get him open shots. So uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, good man. He gets his average, or or Creighton makes seventy five percent of their free throws instead of fifty. Mm-hmm. They can win the game. You don't have to depend on. Uh, granted, you have to, you don't have to depend on the Big East Player of the Year prediction <laughs> predictor to to make his last free throw. They'd probably be up. I mean, that was a, a, a hell of a last two possessions by Denzel. Where I personally thought the game was done uh, after uh, Garrett got the end one, and Denzel comes yeah. down, makes a three from the right side of the wing, and then gets a steal, gets the layup. I'm pers- I'm sitting there like game's over, and then Jalen knocks down the three on the right side, and I'm like, "Wow!" Like it was a great game, man, and it was it was good for me to watch Creighton just to see how good a how much how much how much they play how well they play together as a team. It was great. Like Coach McDermott does a great job of, of getting those guys like to play the <laughs> play the way they do. I, it was it was impressive, like seeing how balanced they were seeing that they didn't really – I mean, obviously they're going to depend on their one guy. They're going to depend on Marcus to, to be the scorer in tight situations, but how they how well they share the ball and how 
at any point in time, someone can someone else can be the guy. So it was it was good to to see Creighton, and they almost pulled it off. I mean, I feel like they are a team that could potentially win the Big East if Villanova doesn't, you know, if they're not in their P's and Q's, you know. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that they'll win the Big East regular season title. Uh, I just don't think that they have enough horses now. If, Ty, uh, um, if Tyshawn Alexander, I, I can never remember his name. If Tyshawn Alexander was back. That'd be a different story because then you'd have your best perimeter defender there as well. Another guy that could average 17, 18 points a game. But um, I, I just I don't think that they have the horses to win it. Now that said, they're dangerous because of the way that they can shoot the ball. And it's kind of the same thing with Iowa, right? Like if you catch them on the wrong night, they can beat anybody in the country. You know, let's say instead of going two for eight, Mitchell Ballack goes six for eight. And that's a team – we're talking about Creighton uh, shooting what, like 13 for 27 from three? Like yeah. They win this game by 10. And it's not crazy to think that Mitchell Ballack can get right and start having nights where he goes six for eight from three. I mean, it's, when you're dealing with guys that are shooters, that's kind of what you live with, right? Sometimes they're going to have two for eight nights. Sometimes they'll have six for eight nights. And you hope that the six for eight nights balance out the two for eight nights, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so I, I think I think they'll get there. I, I just – you know, I'm worried about a team that really only goes five deep and then really can only play one way, which is kind of uh, kind of small. I, I do want to go back and circle back to Jalen Wilson, though, because the big question that I had with Kansas after watching them uh, against Gonzaga and after watching them against Kentucky was like, who is the guy? Who is the guy that you have to be worried about when you put together a game plan? Who is the guy that you want taking big shots down the stretch? Who is the guy that you can call like a legitimate star, an NBA caliber player on that roster? And I, I think it's Jalen Wilson, man. Like, I mean, it's hard to argue against it. He's had 23 and 10 in their last two games against ranked teams. Uh, he had 14 and 15 against North Dakota State the other night. Now, he would have had 30 if he shot better than like two for 12 on layups. Uh, But I I really do think that, that Kansas is like starting to figure it out a little bit. And um, I, I, you know, I I wrote something about this the other day. I went through and I watched every single offensive possession that Kansas had before this game, like every single one. And so much of what was bogging them down offensively was just like making the wrong decision, you know, driving to the basket and forcing a shot up over a six foot ten guy instead of kicking the ball out to Oshai Baji when you draw his defender, uh, coming off of a ball screen, not reading the tagger, and instead of giving the ball to a, a, the open shooter on the wing, driving into the teeth of the defense when you got two guys on. Um, things like coming off of a pin down, having eight feet of space as a shooter on Kansas, and then not taking the shot instead of doing that driving into the rim. Christian Brown did that a couple of times. So it's little things like that that I think can be coached out of them is part of the reason why I'm, I'm bullish on this team. they got a star. They've got two different ways to play. If they need to play big, like they, they showed that they can do that fairly effectively against Creighton in the first half. Um, if they need to play uh, if they need to play small, they can obviously do that now that Jalen Wilson has become a star at the five. So they're never going to have the ceiling of some of the other teams, I don't think. But to me, like they've kind of said, like, okay, you know what? We're we're still a team that can get to the final four. Are you are you there with me at all? Final four? No, I'm not there. Um, but to your point, we talked about this uh, last time where we were we discussed where there are going to be certain uh, pockets where you can play Carmack in games, and this is one of those pockets where 
you know, he's he's bigger playing against what you would necessarily. I wouldn't say it's a smaller school, but they tend to play a little bit more uh, small ball than Kansas would necessarily like to play. And Cormac was bigger and Cormac went out there and played what you would say the best basketball he's played this season so far. Was that wrong? Yeah, I mean, it, it was for the first half was unquestionably the best that he's played. It wasn't. It wasn't a high bar to clear, though. It wasn't a high bar to clear. Again, we're just, we're just. That was what we saw, and that's what it was against a smaller Creighton. So, um, I kind of, I don't want to jump out the window and say I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily, necessarily think that they would be a a Final Four team. Now, Wilson is a really good basketball player. And he has had two games against two ranked teams where he's putting up big numbers. But I feel like I need to see a, a bigger sample size of uh, of games to necessarily make him a star. Because I also remember see us sitting there watching him saying, like, "Who the who's going to be <laughs> who's going to be the guy?" We watched these games where he wasn't necessarily there, and we were sitting there like, "Well, Kansas can't get out rebounded with." McCoy. McCormack and, and, and Wilson out there and Kansas can't do this and do that. And, you know, <laughs> we can't have uh we can't, I can't expect them. I can't expect them to get to a final four. You know, that's just not meant. So hopefully you can, uh, Oh, I'm still on air. Where are you at? It looks like we just lost my guy Rob in my talking. Deshaun having a, a computer crash in the middle of a live stream. Um, it is what it is, but it was actually perfect timing because we probably need to get out of here at some point. It is 1240 in the morning. So listen, man, I appreciate you coming back on. We had a great night of hoops tonight, didn't we? I had a blast, man. I saw some great basketball. I can't wait to see some more. Yeah, so if you are still here on the podcast, please rate it, review it, subscribe to it, do all the things that make us happy as podcasters. Uh, And as always, we will see you again.